so so I, I was just going to that next that i i don't remember exactly i think one year you stayed in mckinsey or less yeah. than less uh, than a year so how was that experience like and what was the like usually the minimum i've seen is people stay for like one one and a half years and then move into some other thing uh, yeah. which is again related to what they have done like maybe private equity or something like that but you stayed less than a year then you moved to completely different thing you did masters in mm-hmm. economics so i just want you to briefly touch upon what was that whole experience like in mckinsey uh, and then we will discuss about your what what you are currently doing yeah so i was to be honest already quite uh, very consult when i joined because i had already heard from batchmates like uh, shashanka and bhavik who were already in it like they already mm. gave me stories of how consult was different from case study solving so that already made me a bit wary but also because my inspi experience had led me to believe that working in the structured regular job was quite unlikely to be my thing like i would very likely become bored very easily and this was confirmed fairly quickly by the way like i within a few months i, I was pretty sure that this is not going to work out like i'm not going to be able to do this for a long time but even then i wasn't going to leave in a year like i was still okay staying on for a couple of years making a bit of money but there were more important pivotal things that led me to want out much more quickly so one of them was that i really disliked how superfluous the work was like not many people knew in depth about the industry or company that they were working with but everyone projected otherwise they all pretended to know much more than they actually did like they would gather information from all kind of experts around the globe and then they would package it as it if it was their own insight so that was one thing that i found really problematic like i i found myself not being able to do it secondly and much more perniciously i think there was very little concern about anything other than the bottom line okay. i'm not sure if i should uh, mention this example but i'll risk it anyway so i was on a study in a uh, hazardous industry mm. and a worker came to very very serious harm like very serious harm on the job in the location that i was assigned okay and i was of the opinion that we had pushed the workers too much like his situation was mm. partly caused by us not recognizing that there are other aspects important than just revenue and production and i mm. felt a lot of guilt and responsibility but those higher up felt very differently like they had very different concerns and those concerns did not relo- relate to the workers or the people who were working there so that put me off a lot like that put me off from the job a lot so i was i was fairly certain in a span of like 7 months that this was not going to work out for okay yeah Uh, so so then you might uh, have started looking out for like different job opportunities as well yeah my question was how did yeah. you know about isi and <laughs> decided to join masters yeah so i had i had thought about both of these like i had i had 
kept both of these as backup options. I was also interviewing with the few P's, a uh, few VCs, which were ready to take people so early into their consulting career. Mm. And I was also looking at the option of doing a master's, like like get a real foundation, and then work on something that is more substantial. The thing is that I found out about ISI pretty late, like only like a couple of months before. the entrance exam to to ISI so mm-hmm. i did not take it all that seriously in in the beginning mm. but once i got to know more about ISI it seemed like the perfect fit for me like the program at ISI it's called MSQE it's a very mathematical program okay. like it's not like other uh, masters where you do a lot of the more hs stuff where you have to read and to do all those kind of things this is more of more of a mathematical thing because it's a statistical institute mm. so i think as i got to know more about it it kind of grew on me i think that's the reason why I, in the end once i cleared the exam i was like fuck it let's do this how, how did you come to know about this though I, i don't think a lot of people in general know about these yeah. programs yeah i i think to be honest i think isi is very popular amongst uh those doing econ undergrad like in du okay. or all of these other universities that have an economics undergrad they know about isi and isi has a, a very uh long standing reputation of being tough to get into because they only take like 20 people out of mm. i don't know the thousands that write the exams so but unfortunately that not percolated as much into the iits like there are still some iit students in isi Okay. But the I think the number should be higher. Like it suits our kind of thinking because it's a mathematical. Like the name itself is Master of Science in Quantitative Economics. Like name itself has quantitative. So I think that would suit people who think like us more. How did you, How did you come to know about this program? Like were you just randomly it, searching and? Yeah, I think that was it. I think there was nothing more than that. It was just I was. applying to a lot of places like i was applying to schools abroad i okay. was applying to schools in india like i was thinking of applying to dsc also i don't know if you've heard of dsc uh, that's where amartya sen taught for a while okay. the delhi school of economics hmm. but isi in retrospect is better than all of those options okay why do you say so of course with foreign schools it's an easier comparison like i had applied to like uh, i think uh bokni and uh, bgsc like in barcelona and u chicago okay and i had gotten into a couple of these but the thing is that these schools require a lot of funding like they need you to pay like 40 50000 hmm. and imagine having a 40000 loan on your head when you start your phd that's just not feasible unless you have a le- really rich father or something so that just eliminates foreign schools immediately but even if you don't have the financial consideration i think isi is still maybe better than all of them because i got admission with full funding to the best economics phd programs in the world like i got admission offers from mit harvard yale princeton and i don't think i could have done that while studying anywhere else. like i don't think i personally could have had such a great outcome 
from anywhere else so mm. in that sense i think isi is genuinely better than all of those options and i think this is true for any indian student like in general indian student if you study at isi it's you're likely to have much better outcomes than if you go to say a uh, bokni or something okay the one thing that that's coming to my mind is how did you decide you want to do something in economics after like 6 7 months in mckay yeah. Uh, yeah how did you pinpoint that yeah i want to do something in economics then you chose isi yeah i th- i think it was a very simple reason like it was just because economics was the right balance between math and hs okay. like i didn't want to do something that was too math like i don't want to be in pure math hmm. but i didn't want to be in something like pure hs either because they take like pages and pages to convey one simple idea and i couldn't do that like i couldn't read through 20 pages of the most difficult stuff to pass through just because i want to understand one tiny concept like that mm. would not happen so the economics is the right mix of these two i think mm. and, and this also makes uh, economists uh, pariahs in both the social sciences and the natural sciences <laughs> yeah so i i uh, i have become okay with that how is the journey in isi has been like like how is it f- one first question is how is it different from culture in it madras second is how is the whole curriculum and how, what is what what's exactly do you do in a day to day basis in isi the culture uh, not just the culture i think isi is very different from uh, insti first of all insti's population is like a hundred times that of isi delhi so that itself should give you an idea of how different the cultures are going to be mm. like india has a vibrant culture of you having a million things to do but on the other hand here at isi delhi there are very little things to do other than acad like my life has centered mostly around classes and research with maybe a little bit of cricket sprinkled in like that thing okay. and in a sense i think i was lucky that at a stage where i needed something like this to focus my attention to focus myself towards pursuing something seriously i think i was lucky to land up at isi okay i think the academic rigor if you look at it it's the same like i think the classes are organized with the same rigor they but the, the thing is that it just so happens that the students at isi take their studies more seriously so a higher proportion of them will be attending classes and hence like the peer learning effect is probably higher okay. but i think the rigor is more or less the same but i think to um, to return to the point you were making earlier i think the program itself is beyond incredible like i think it's a miracle that something like the msve program exists at all was first of all they literally pay you to study like there are no fees okay the hostel lodging is free and they give you a stipend like they oh. give you a pretty cool stipend and so it's like it's like doing a job but you are studying and exactly like they are paying you to do what you want like they they don't even have requirements like you can like the even the attendance rule the attendance rule is like you need to have an attendance of 75% but that 75% is across all courses oh. <laughs> so 
you can miss an entire course for an entire semester and you'll still be fine i think the system is amazing like the ratio of professors to students mm. like we have 15 professors and a batch of 22 students that's yeah. an insane amount of face time to get with the professor inside and outside class yeah like oh. and i the the thing is like all of these professors like even though uh like there are only 15 of them all of them love what they do like they love mm. uh researching they love their fields there are regular seminars there are regular talks there are regular reading groups in fact there's a professor here who was so consumed by his research that he neglected the opposite sex until he was 40 and his peers at isi was so so disappointed they were so concerned that they set him up with a professor from jnu <laughs> and to their utter disappointment he talked about his favorite research papers with her on the date <laughs> like but thankfully like she thought it was cute and they have been married for 20 years but okay. this is the kind of professor we have so i think that that passion would be like transferable from professors to students as well like, yeah absolutely absolutely they take classes with such passion they they talk about what they are doing with such passion that you cannot help but like whatever they are doing and how are your peers like uh, i mean what background do they come from so some of them have engineering background like there are few from iit so they directly they from people. after like undergraduation they go to do masters in iis uh, that is not typical for a iit isi student okay that is actually typical for a econ undergrad student like okay. they mostly just directly come to isi and that's the peer group basically it's just a few students from engineering mostly economic students and a few from maybe like bcom or something like that i actually am gen- genuinely curious about what is research in economics like what exactly do you do because i understand research in science like they have labs they do work but what exactly is research in economics yeah i think that's a great question because even i don't understand what is research in economics like all i knew about economics was uh, demand and supply and that was the extent <laughs> i am in that stage it, it have, yeah there, it would have been tough for me also to wrap my head around what does research in economics actually uh, imply so i'll just i'll tell you what i have been doing at isi okay. so i work primarily in a field uh, called game theory okay. i don't know if you heard about game theory it basically yeah. models the way a group of people can interact with each other to cause different outcomes to come about so mm. i'll give you an example suppose you and i mm. are facing disco for smoking weed okay the dost is going to question us in two separate rooms mm. we have two options either we deny or we confess yeah if we both deny we'll both be free to go mm. but suppose i confess while you deny mm. then i will be free to go and get a free subscription to zaytun while you will get debarred for an entire year mm. at the same time if we both confess then mm. we both get debarred but only for a semester okay so this is the game what happens if we both confess what happens if we both deny 
what happens with if one of, one of us confesses mm-hmm. and one of us denies now mm-hmm. what will actually happen in this game let me analyze from my perspective okay suppose you are denying mm. then what should i do if i deny we both go scot free mm. but if you deny and i confess what happens is i got scot free but i also get a free subscription to zetu mm. that's obviously better than just denying so mm. clearly i would want to confess now suppose you are confessing Hmm. If I deny, I get debarred for a year. But if hmm. I confess, I get debarred only for a semester. So hmm. again, it's better for me to confess. Hmm. So no matter what you do, I will confess. And no matter what I do, you will confess. So what will happen is, in the end, we will both confess to smoking weed and get debarred for an entire semester, hmm. even though there was a better option in the sense that we could have both denied and both gone for right. free. Mm. so this is the kind of things that game theory analyzes and i think this is very interesting things like how do people interact with each other in strategic situations they think about all the strategies that are available to them they think about all the things that will happen if they do this action do that action then there are these uh, concepts so there is this concept called the nash equilibrium it's mm. named after that guy from a beautiful mind that what should happen is you should call something and nash equilibrium if and only if there is no way that no way that one person can unilaterally deviate to any other action okay so this is a very useful concept to analyze things like cartels like if for example opec is setting an oil price it should not be a price at which one of the cartel members would find it profitable to just deviate by either increasing or decreasing the price so this is just a very very small flavor of what economics research entails it entails mm-hmm. uh, right. and not just not just economics research this is even more specialized this is game theoretic research so where you analyze what happens when people interact with each other strategically they think about all the strategies available to them what is the kind of solution concept that should we should be thinking about like what should be something that we call something that is stable so there's a huge literature that delves deeper and deeper and deeper but it, it, this is where it starts this is where it starts thinking about those issues like what happens okay. when people interact so very simple in nice and intuitive kind of thing to think about and what do you do like day to day how how it goes like you read like definitely there will be literature reading but then yeah. you build models on some software and get some data and work on it so th- th- there are two kind of economists okay. <laughs> there are two kind of everything but there is two kind of economists as well so one kind is the theoretical economics so what i told you the game theoretic kind hmm. that is more of a theoretical economics so a theoretical economist builds models in his mind <laughs> he okay. doesn't build it on a computer so okay. then you flesh out details about the model like what will happen under these assumptions what will happen under these assumptions so that is a theoretical kind there is also the empirical kind who collects data and using data tries to predict or analyze what has happened in a certain scenario so there is this very cool paper where what happens is just by looking at different rates of colonization and how whether they decided to colonize by staying there or just by settling a few people and mostly remotely controlling it how did that affect the development of nation 
So okay. these are very cool things to think about. Like you can predict the evolution of development of nations just by this very simple trick of mm-hmm. where did the colonizers decide to settle down. This mm-hmm. is the kind of thing that empiricists do. Like you look at data and they try to analyze or predict. Okay. Uh, so I have two questions in my mind now. Uh, first one is, uh, who do you think should go for such masters? Like should look out for IIC program and uh, what steps should they follow to get into this? Second is what do people do after doing this masters? Like what is the future prospects of this masters? Yeah. So what kind of people is a very good question. I think there is a intersection between two sets of people. One would be people who enjoy things like research, like they enjoy academics, they like thinking about problems. Hmm. This is the first set. It should intersect with the second set, which is people who are not that into about engineering. Because if you're into about engineering, might as well do engineering research, right? Like, hmm. why go into economics research? <laughs> I think this is the kind of intersection of people. Like people who like research are not entirely into corporate, but at the same time are not entirely into engineering either. Okay. I think those people would love economic research. Okay. Uh, and what is the step into go, getting into ISA? Ha. Huh. So, um, so ISA has an entrance exam. Okay. So, and you need to prepare for it fairly seriously. Like at least a few months of preparation is essential because they ask you very fundamental things about economics. Okay. And but the, the subjects are uh, only economics? Yeah. The, uh, the subjects are, I think, economics are math, not just okay. economics. But math is fairly simple. Like all of us can go well in that math paper. What really stumps engineers like us is that economics part. And for mm-hmm. that, all you need to do is just Google. Like you need to just Google what are good references for the ISI entrance exam. Go through whatever number of those you can and yourself. It's mm-hmm. not a difficult exam, but you need to prepare for a few months and using just Google. Okay, got it. And and uh, the second part of the question was, what are the prospects like? Like, what do people do after doing this master's? To be honest, the ISI program and the ISI environment is structured such that they encourage people doing a PhD. Okay. Like, that is what they aim to produce out of good students. And okay. they have been quite successful in that. Like, for the last 10-15 years, there has been people going to all kinds of really good universities in the US, like Princeton, Yale, Harvard, MIT, Chicago, everywhere. There are really good ISI students. But of course, not everybody comes in uh, wanting to do a PhD. Or even if they do come in, they might get disillusioned. So then the kind of jobs that exist are like data science jobs or jobs in a bank analyzing statistical models. Um, have you figured out what you're going to do next? I, I think you mentioned already that you got PhD programs, but where are you yeah. going to PhD next? Yeah, so I'll be going to MIT for my PhD. Oh, that's great. So I I think it was a it it was not it was not a given. Like when I started the program, it was not a given at all because I didn't have a economics background. Mm. But even when I was applying, it was going to be 
pretty random like it was going to be a stochastic process i just ended up being on the good part of the stochastic process mm-hmm. I mean, but but did you think you'll do a phd when you join the masters program or you were like open ended of doing anything i had a pretty high likelihood of wanting to do a phd because mm-hmm. of my experiences at uh, mecke okay but i was not entirely certain but what what was again what was very pivotal was the fact that isi has this great research environment mm, okay. like once you come here they they teach you such fundamental things in economics that you start falling in love with just thinking about those concepts have you thought what you're going to do after phd <laughs> that's, a, that's a very tough question <laughs> but of course ideally i would like to i would like to work as a professor and that would be okay the ideal thing for me and as far as i understand uh, mit's economics program placement pretty well uh, in academia like they have pretty good academic placement okay but again i would go back to what i have learned from insti which is that i am just looking for a place where i can continue to think about interesting problems hmm and keep interacting with people who are also thinking about interesting problems like mm. that is the that is my primary aim anything that comes about other than that is just incidental that's what i think while leaving mckinsey for this masters did you ever feel insecure like leaving a good corporate job and getting into something which not usually everyone does yeah i think that's a very important point because this factor is very important when deciding to do a phd because what you will be giving up and what i was giving up was a career with an exponential growth of earnings and influence for a path where i would maybe be just about the poverty line for most of the time so i would encourage anybody who is considering this to really think about whether they are okay with this and for my part i was more than okay with it like when i quit make when i decided to quit make i realized that i would be okay even if i was some random nobody in a random corner of the world but i could do what i wanted to do like hmm. i could just think about interesting things i could just read interesting concepts i think that was enough for me and i think that is an important realization to come to on your own if you want to take up something of beat like you have to convince yourself that this is something you're okay with hmm but i'm i'm sure it was uh like in first year or second year it it wouldn't have come to you as naturally as as it did when you were in like mckinsey after like 4 5 years and i think yeah. uh, that that's the key takeaway at least someone should take from this interview that think about what you want to do and not just get into peer pressure i think one final question that we ask all our guests is uh, if let's say 8 years back when you were joining insti if you had to give advice to that arun who was getting into that freshman year what would that be i think it would be very simple advice like there's There's, there's only one thing that i would tell myself with, and it would be just to do things to enjoy them like i think 
a lot of the fun was sapped away from whatever I did in history because I wanted to do it for very pre-specified reasons. Like I needed to do it to be cool. I needed to do it to be recognized. I needed to do it to be liked. And all of those things, I think, sapped away very important enjoyments out of many things I did. I think it's a bit cliche. I think a lot of people will tell you that just enjoy what you're doing. But it is true, unfortunately. It is very true that what you should do is what you enjoy. And better, it's better to try to assimilate it as early as possible rather than just wait for it and then be like me, giving gyan to other people <laughs> about assimilating it. If there's somebody listening to this, you have the uh, advantage of listening to some idiot who wasn't able to figure it out early enough. So I think that's, that's what I would tell myself. Great. I think uh, we have come to the end of the interview. I had a great time. I learned a lot. I hope the listeners learn as well. Uh, yeah. I, I hope I was able to take you back to Insta days and have some fun time. So great to have you again. Thanks for coming again on the show. No, no, thank you. I think I, I, I was actually taken back to times that I had started forgetting. And that actually made me really nervous. Like I've only been out of Insta for three years. How can I start to forget what was absolutely the most formative experience of my life? So <laughs> this was great to just go back and refresh all of those memories. So I, I, I think you have done more for me than I have done for you or anybody who listens to this. <laughs> that, that's very nice for you to say. So that was it from this episode of The Other Side. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You can find us on Instagram at the other side underscore podcast. And you're more than welcome to ping us with feedback regarding the episode and regarding any guests you would love to hear from. Meanwhile, stay safe, hit that follow button, share this episode with your friends and stay tuned for more. Adios and see you again soon.